Hello and welcome to Secondhand Film Critics, your favorite source for mildly pretentious, semi-uneducated, and highly unqualified opinions on movies. I am Noah, and as always, I am here joined by... Kayla. How are you today? How are you doing? How is it going? Um, I'm a little tired. Yeah, that's about as far as my brain can mm. think right now. Well, hopefully we don't talk about anything boring today, because uh... then... You'll be going right to sleep. No, that would make for not good content. Um, yeah, I'm kind of tired too. You know, it's we always record at night because that's usually when we're actually better than the morning. Because that that tells you something about how we work, how it works over here. Mm. Um, but this is going to be a more of a chill episode, you know. So even if people are tired, you know, this might relax them a little bit. Talking sure. about just some some music. We're not talking about movies really today. Well, we are, but we're also just talking about music. Mm. Um, but in, before that, we have to get to some of these answers to the questions of the week. I don't never know. I never say that right. The answers to the question of the week that it's just hard to say. It's a hard thing to figure out how to say that. But this was a pretty open ended question. So I wasn't sure what kind of answers we were going to get. But we got a wide variety of. Of answers from people some very specific some not as specific um what was the question so the question was to pitch us a marvel spin-off disney plus series right which isn't really a question but it, yeah, it is kind of it's a prompt uh <laughs> yes an essay prompt if you will so we gave a couple like webisode mini series um mm, which were all great amazing i think, I think the witch streaming was <laughs> a mega w <laughs> Um, but we've got some good ones here. Maybe we can kind of like spice up some of the more like simple ones. Hmm. Yeah. So which one should we get to first here? Um, we can read waffles. All right. This is, this is one that we, we might need to brainstorm a little bit because she gave us a prompt in the response to our prompt, which in a class would probably get not an A, but in here it's fine. <laughs> Uh, so what is the prompt that she gave us? So she said, it's Shang-Chi and he punches a god. Yeah, IDK had a picture of a movie, LOL, but let's say Shang-Chi punch a god. Well, that could happen. Is Maybe maybe he has a disagreement with Thor. Mm, what if, <laughs> here's a good one. What if each episode is a different type of like god or other hero? And they're doing some mundane, um, I don't know, eating food, touring San Francisco, and then at some point in the show episode, Shang-Chi always punches the person <laughs> that he's with. <laughs> so maybe he's like touring, uh, maybe, isn't that where he's from, San Francisco? I believe so. Yeah, we yes. could do San yeah. Francisco with Shang-Chi, and then each webisode will be him showing a different hero around the city. Yes, because most of it, they're used to New York, so this is like a new yeah. environment. Yeah, and then at the end of each like six, seven minute episode of them visiting some one of the things, uh, he just happens to like punch them for some reason, just as like a little bit. One of those episodes it would be Thor, and then he punches Thor. Yeah, I could see him being him like throwing, showing Thor the like bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, and then being yes. Thor being like, punch me off the bridge and then he like punches him and then he like flies off the side of the bridge or something 
Yeah, sure. That's how I envision it in my brain. Like, just kind of like bit comedy, slapstick yeah. comedy. We're a big fan of the, the seven, eight minute episodes, I think. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go with these. <laughs> There's some of these that will not work with that because some people did take it like just like the more standard which is fine which is just we're we're just different you know we we try to think about out of the box a little bit Mm -hmm. so no um so one thing was a little bit interesting that dan brought up was a yelena spy thriller series about her being an assassin with morals this is dan from the film is lit pod which we did an episode with them so um yeah this is pretty interesting i think she's a great character and she was like the best part, I think, of both Black Widow and also the Hawkeye episode she was in. So I would love to see her in a like her own series. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people like her, too. So, yeah. And he also said, give Florence Pugh anything she wants. Uh, I think mm. we agree. In general, not even not even talking about a show. I think just overall just in life. Anything. Um, what else do we have here? We so this is more in line with we were, we had the spoilers, but there was I'll just say there was some cameos you know in Doctor Strange too, and I think maybe this got Zach Smith Michaels thinking with his idea, which is that Quicksilver and Nightcrawler go on a summer tour to recruit recruit mutants for Xavier's school. Mm. Which I summer tour summer tour sounds like a fun. It could be that called summer fun. tour. And then you kind of get a good cuz one of my favorite things about the X-Men universe, I love the X-Men universe is like mm. how different things are but how normal the people are and so like they can kind of be doing this and go to someone's house and then they mm. see some kid doing some really crazy shit and then the next yeah. episode. I think this would also serve good short, like maybe 10-minute episodes. We get mm. introduced to each of these kids, and then maybe like that kicks off a new series with the characters we're introduced to. The real question is, who will be playing Quicksilver? Because there's two different actors that have played Pietro before, right? Or do you think that they will so just recast? So do we recast or do we use one of the previous actors? I don't know. I don't know. I also think a lot of these that we're talking about, because they use a lot of famous actors, um, one maybe we can talk about next that uses a lot of the more famous actor characters. I think some of these, we, people need to be more open maybe to the idea that maybe some of these should just be animated, you know? Because hmm. people are really good at finding, like, doubles for voices that are, like, just do the trick. And if some of these, like, are going to be impossible to ever get because of just, like, the amount of money they would cost. But why? We can just do some of these animated, you know? I think that What If maybe didn't get a lot of press, but I thought, like, that was a cool way to get a lot of characters involved. Some of people did revoice their parts in those but they don't have to you know so let's go to this next one which has a lot like i said a lot of characters which i think if they were going to do this it would need to be animated because there's no way they could get all these people even though it's disney i still don't think that they could get everyone to do it so what is this uh this one we have here um so this is from a different dan uh, wow, it's almost like people can have more than one, like more than one person can have the same name. Wow, who would have thought? Um, <laughs> so this one's called Secret Chores, uh, mm. with Nick Fury still off world. Scroll agents Talos and Soren 
are tasked with using their shape-shifting powers to go undercover and ascertain valuable intel. Hmm. So this is, a lot of people I feel like are pitching ones where it's like not a chronological order, you know, where it's like all the episodes are more self-contained, but there's an overarching theme to to the series, which I think is a great idea because not everything needs to be like, a, a mini series like a movie because that's what they've been doing but i like i like some of these where it's like they're just like concepts and each episode is like self-contained within its own idea so he did ke- come up with all six episodes um what's we won't read all six because we don't have a lot like an hour but i think there are a couple here that might like help demonstrate what the idea of this show is so this first episode i'll just start at episode one um would be called massively inconvenient portals and so you would have Darcy Lewis and Agent Jimmy Woo, which that that's that'd be great, no matter what that is gonna happen in yeah. the episode. Um, accompanied by Eric Selvig. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and then so Talos and Soren, they travel to MIT to investigate a series of portals appearing around campus, and it's eventually revealed that they're accidentally being created by Ned. And maybe that ties in with the Ned miniseries that we came up mm. with. Where it's like after he learns about magic, he just he has to learn how to use it. Then you know. I think we also need a Jimmy Woo magic show, but like him doing like yes. magic tricks, <laughs> but just not the like magic with tricks. magic. Yeah, like Jimmy Woo teaches magic. I think that'd be great. Remember, because I feel like they Disney Plus was trying to do more of that when they launched, like educational videos or like cooking videos. So maybe you could get. I think those would be more successful if they did actually like incorporate some of their characters rather than them just like being like Food Network shows because you know they had like a co- they had like cooking craft shows but they yeah. didn't have like any Disney people involved. But if they had maybe like a Marvel character doing an educational kind of like magic, look at all this, d- learn these tricks for your family. Um, yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, and I like Jimmy Woo. I agree. Let's get a couple more here. Just quick rapid fire. Um, your favorite superhero, Ant-Man. Um, <laughs> no, uh, there's a, Chenzi gave us an idea for a prequel series on Antony the Ant from Ant-Man 1. That is a great idea. I read that and I was like, that is one that I am totally on board with. Yeah, and that's something like people maybe wouldn't expect as much either, where it's not just like a character that they're trying to introduce or a character we already know. It's like a smaller character from the past. I could see that being like a special, like a 25 minute, like short kind of thing, Mm. or maybe like Mm. 20 minute, like just kind of a short film. Um, but like a little special, a little special, uh, also speaking of Ant-Man. Yes. Um, Bryce said shorts of Louise recapping every MCU project. Yeah, that sounds great. I think that I think that's actually a, could definitely happen. Yeah, I think that falls in line with like the webisode type, like them yeah. just sitting down in front of the camera. Right. And they're also running into the issue. They have like over 30 things that you technically need to see if you want to understand everything. So not everyone has time for 30 things, but there's a lot of videos on YouTube that get tons of views of like recapping phase four of the MC, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I could but they see could it get being in on like that. people want that. An icon in Disney Plus where it's like catch up on the MCU and you click on yeah. it and then you have three to four minute videos on like 
you know, here's information on the multiverse, here's information on whatever, and it's just him explaining it. And, like, depending on which movie is coming up, they can, like, make playlists for, like, these are the must-see things to catch up on before you go see the next movie like yeah. I mean, that would be that would definitely work and he's such a great like personality like he could definitely do it just by himself like bouncing off the camera hmm. uh jordan said <laughs> this one's good the bird from iron man 2 uh that's all he said so i think we should run with this one so if you remember in iron man 2 this is the bird that the villain guy has i i don't remember this at all i will i'm not gonna lie i oh. am i'm in the dark i don't remember iron man 2 at all yeah it's it's that guy's with a uh like mickey rourke it's his bird okay and it was like his a parrot co- like it just talks yeah, back it's like to a him, cockatoo okay. yeah um okay yes and so uh he it was his bird in real life Oh, okay. I think. Um, so would this show be about maybe the, maybe the bird recaps every Marvel movie? <laughs> no, I think what we should do is I think it should be like a behind the scenes of a Marvel movie, but like through the perspective of the bird actor, not like the bird oh. in the show. It would be like a POV, like first person kind of thing. Yeah, Sonny the Cockatoo. So it would be about Sonny the Cockatoo portraying Irina, uh, the bird in the movie. Sonny's behind-the-scene tour. Yeah, that'd be fun. And there's not, like, enough behind-the-scenes stuff, I don't think, that they do. So that would be a cool way to, like, maybe incorporate some of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Hunter did give us one, but it kind of spoils Doctor Strange 2. So if you haven't seen Doctor Strange 2, just, like, press, like, the 30-second button, like, twice, and then you'll be safe. Um, so this one, he says, I want a spinoff show of the Illuminati before they all brutally die, which, um, I mean, maybe I don't, I really don't think that John Krasinski was a, is a good casting choice for that. So I don't know if I really want to see him and maybe he's like on vacation during the show. He's literally not. He's like the one of the worst casting choices ever. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that regardless, they will be introduced maybe just with other actors obviously in the future um because they're obviously going to want to incorporate that in shows and tv shows in the future so i'm sure Mm -hmm. we'll see something with them if maybe just not with those actors um wow lots of things to think about we i think if marvel listens to the last like 12 minutes of this podcast they might have the whole next phase just ready for them yeah. I think we just laid it out for them. And we'll never get compensation for it because they don't no. pay people. So They don't even pay the comic book. No, creators, yeah, that's what so. I was like referencing. Well, I love to see creators not recognized for their work. <laughs> and that's making that's really cool. <laughs> making Disney billions of dollars. <laughs> it's it's a really cool trend that they're that they're doing right over there. Hmm. Um, well, thank you all for writing in and giving us your very imaginative ideas. Um, and we'll have another question at the end of this episode for you all to answer. So let's jump into the reason everyone clicked on this episode, which is film scores. No, we're not talking about ratings like Mm. a score. We're talking about a score (laughs) like music <laughs> wow 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 we 
Man, I guess I'm gonna have to. Uh, <laughs> I didn't prepare notes. for this. Change my notes. Change my rankings. I thought we were scoring things here. Um, no, we've been wanting to do this episode. I feel like for a while. I think like two and a half years or more. Like, yeah, it just feels like so daunting. It's such a big, broad thing. Yeah, it'd be like doing an episode on cinematography. You know, sure. it's like how do you do that? But I think we found a way to maybe categorize stuff and just like give you our thoughts on different things and not hopefully not go too off the rails with everything because it's it's one of those things where you can go pretty off the rails i think um so what we're what our kind of idea is first we're just gonna to start talk we're gonna talk talk a little bit first about just general feelings on film scores what do we like about film scores what are maybe some film scores that we've like got us into maybe helped us get into movies more you know because i think that can happen when you're a kid certain movies that you like you notice when you first notice scores in them um so what is what is uh things that you like in your film scores do you even like film scores maybe you hate them oh my gosh i hate film scores i cannot believe that i was dragged into doing this episode um now i love film scores (laughs) i have been listening to them since like eighth or ninth grade i think when i first started getting Mm. into them and then uh i listen to film scores a lot so much so that two of my top artists of my top five on spotify rap last year were um composers and it was almost three out of my five so wow so close so close to the the big three i know um yeah no i love film scores i listen to them a lot when i'm like working or Hmm. getting things done uh nice background music and then i also like buying um like finals of film scores Hmm. so Hmm. i have like three that i've pre-ordered that have not come yet uh, but i'm (laughs) hoping that they come soon no four because i just pre-ordered another one um but yeah yeah i i would agree i think they're definitely, like you said, good for for studying and stuff like that. Like they can serve multiple purposes, which is nice. So they're good for that, like more passive listening. But they also can have a lot of intricacies. And I think one thing that I like is obviously maybe if I'm seeing a movie in theaters, I'm not going to and I really like that movie. I maybe am not going to go rush back to see it right away because like I have things going on in my life that mm-hmm. I just can't see movies in theaters like every day. Um, but I think it's a cool way to like revisit a movie like audibly, if that makes sense. Or like if just get into the headspace of the movie by listening to the score. Um, sometimes I do that if I'm like wanting to think about the movie more and I've put on the score and it can kind of like bring up some of those emotions or remind you of certain scenes. Um, and it's it's interesting because it's one of the only ways with like an art form that you can experience like just a single element because obviously movies are made up of like a ton of different elements that like go into that like you said we have the cinematography you have sound you have lighting you have so many different things that are happening that are like being condensed in this one thing but there's not many art forms where it's like i'm taking a part out of the whole and just trying to digest this one aspect um, so I think like the idea of just listening to film scores on their own is really interesting um, mm. and can you can create a lot of different um, experience for, and maybe even like you have a relationship with the score outside of the movie. 
and then you watch the movie and it's like you're bringing something into it because you know where you were when you were listening to the score if that makes sense i don't sure. know um it can change your relationship with the movie for sure there's some that we'll talk about later that like i think my relationship with the movies have changed because of when i've listened to the score or what the score is like meant to me throughout different stages of my life um yeah but as far as like elements that i like of film scores or like maybe film scores i gravitate towards more i'm definitely more pulled to less like orchestral scores or fully orchestrated scores um so like john williams is someone that i really think is like amazing but i don't really listen to like many john williams scores um because like that's just not what i like that much i like a couple of his but i'm more interested in more um not minimalist because that's not really the right descriptor but just more simple scores or scores that are based more on like melodies in a certain instrument with like sparse instrumentation um and just more experimental stuff um rather than just like big bombastic like epic scores um Mm -hmm. so i mean and maybe that has to do too with like I would rather like listen to a simpler or more um, intimate score outside of the movie rather than like, I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to go to Spotify and like turn on the star Wars score. Like, Oh yeah. Going to turn up to empire strikes back today. That's just not like what I would pick if I'm looking to listen to a score. But there are good songs from Star Wars that aren't like like I think of the song like when Padme and um Anakin get married. It's like, I don't know what song that is. Oh, okay, never mind. It's fine. I just I just don't really like or, or I don't really like how orchestras sound that much. So maybe that's it. I just don't. I rather I like different instrumentation than orchestras. Um, so that's just not the scores that I got. And it seems like you like some of that but also a lot of your composers that i see here also kind of have less orchestral scores sure and like change their instrumentation depending on the movie as well yeah i like um ones i've noticed that have like i'm not i like i'm familiar with music theory but i don't know a lot of music words uh but the ones that have like a staccato like plunkiness Mm -hmm. that's like you have the nice undertones, and then there's like a certain sound, whether it be a piano or a guitar mm. or something, where it's like, and it's like higher and like goes up sure, and down yeah. with it. Yeah, but like the staccato specifically, where there's like more hits than like flowy, mm. like it's kind of like bing, 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 bing. That makes sense. Bing, yeah, it's bing, more bing, 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 bing. Yeah, like. If you listen to the ones that are going to be my top scores or whatever, you'll know exactly what I mean when I say that. Mm. But Yeah, I think I I know which one you'd like and I yeah, I can see that. And I think it's like you find that a lot in in mo- mystery maybe films, adventure films definitely, sure. which you have some adventure films that I know you like to listen to the scores of. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That that makes sense. I, and I think those are always interesting because you can really fall into a pattern with those kind of scores so it's cool when like people are creative with how they decide to like do that kind of sound Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because i found that like when i look at scores that i liked when i was younger and compare it to scores that i like now it's consistent between the two of like the specific Mm. type of score that it is and so i think there's like 
something to say about like how movies and when you're watching them and the ones you're entranced with when you're younger, like somehow the music also affects your brain and the way that you like certain music in movies and stuff like that because it reminds you of a certain other movie or something. Mm. Yeah, well, I think there's some, there's two scores. I don't know if you're talking about the other one, but there's one score you're talking about that really like reminds me of another movie that came out during that same time. And it's like interesting, like <laughs> there's always like phases that are we talking the industry about, goes through. Are we through. talking about two movies that begin with the letter N? Yes, we okay. are. Uh, yeah, that those two specifically, like I get them confused every time. Yeah, they do have very similar scores. And it's funny because I sent, maybe I'll post the playlist that I sent you. But as I was going through some of these scores, I was like, oh, my God, these could all be from the same movie. Like, because they (laughs) all, even though they're all different movies, like, the Mm. elements are so similar that, like, maybe I'll post it on, like, Twitter or something. But you'll see. Why not? um, Back to back, even, how some of these, like, are exactly the same. As far as how the music is used in the movie, I don't like a lot of underscore in movies because I think that usually is just like people overuse underscore because they're scared of silence or they're just scared of like not having any stuff music in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely prefer when the score is used very intentionally for most of the movie, if not all of the movie, because uh, there was one. Um, oh, that was what I was. Wa- I was watching when I was watching Moonlight. Um, that's one where. They use the score like only ever when they need it. And it's th- I would rather that when the score like has a specific intention in the film rather than like, oh, we just needed music behind here to make it sound mm. like build tension. Because I think there are other ways to build tension sometimes than just immediately going to score. Sometimes you can. But uh, yeah. And I think I like when also the score has... A relation to the movie like it sounds like it should be attached to the movie we're talking a lot we'll pop, talk a lot about alexander Desplat's scores i think he and wes anderson always come up with really cool scores that all fit to each movie both like instrumentation wise m- melodies that they come up with um and so i really also love that in movies where it's like each score it just sounds like the film and it's like if we put this score with another movie, it would not work with sure. that one. Um, so those are like two things that I really look for is like intentionality in how the score is used and also intentionality in instruments they pick and how they write the music to fit each movie. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I don't really know what else I have to say about that. Do you, what do you think about like leitmotifs and stuff? Like, do you need them? Do you, do you hate them? I don't know. Yeah, I think it depends on the theme because I think in something like Batman it works um, where like mm. the Riddler had a theme, Batman had a theme, and Catwoman had a theme. And then they're able to utilize those themes in the other songs that involve those characters. And I think that is good. Yeah, but if it's something like obviously with Star Wars it's hard because Star Wars is just so popular that it's yeah. like and that theme is so constant and that it's just like... I don't know. I feel like in something like that, that it doesn't work as much, but Mm. I don't know. Yeah. And I think Star Wars too, it's like, because there's so many movies and because the movies are so obsessed and the shows with the same locations, you always hear a lot of the same themes reoccurring, like the binary sunset 
theme whenever someone mentions like Tatooine or like anything with Luke Skywalker. So I think that they are also like kind of a crutch where it's like, oh, we mentioned this. We got to put in the binary sunset theme, which do you have to? Because like you don't have to every time. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's it can get to be sometimes like they get in their own head about it. where like, we need to have this theme attached to everything where I don't think that you need to do that every time because I don't think everyone is going to hear that every time. And there's sometimes like better decisions you could make rather than being like, really rigid with like we need a leitmotif for every character and whenever we mention that character we need to play that theme every time yeah so i agree with you i think it's like if it works in the movie it's good but i think i'd again i'd rather them just decide what will work best for the story because i think like a movie like um we we talk about the minari score a lot i don't think that movie would work if like the dad had a theme and the kid had a theme, like if every person in the family like right. had their own theme. I feel like it works more with like hero franchises or like something where there's going to be sequels so that it can kind of call back to a different movie. Yeah. Well, because uh, too, I saw a member on Twitter, there was a lot of people mad that they didn't really use the Doctor Strange theme in the sequel um, because they established his theme in the in his movie and also in Infinity War and stuff. So... Like, that's an interesting conversation, I guess, because it's like, do you have to follow the theme every time or... But they also, if, did, like, didn't they use the WandaVision theme in Wanda's entrance? They did, yeah. They did use her theme. So it's interesting that, like, they just he decided not to use Doctor Strange's theme. Um, maybe because Doctor Strange is changing. Maybe that was what they were trying to represent. I don't know. Or maybe it's not Doctor Strange at all. Wow, wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's actually the guys from from the Sam Fury the Nick Fury and the, the Kroll Krulls, guys, right? Yeah. The the Krolls. It's them. That's that would be wild. Yeah. So before we just talk about some of our favorite scores, we have some lists of our favorite composers, which we have a lot of crossover here, more than we have with our scores. So we might just like talk about ones at the same time. But what are some of your composers that you like because I think with composers that like my rule for this is when I see like that one of these composers is doing a movie like I just am excited to see the movie even if I don't know what it is I think that's usually like how I try to define it well I guess I'll say some that aren't on your list uh Randy Newman I mean uh classics there um (laughs) (laughs) there's not really much to say beyond that about him uh, other ones would be uh, Joe Hisaishi, who composes all of Miyazaki's films. So I listen to, it's kind of hard uh, for me because I listen to a lot of like his stuff, but though I wouldn't say those are like, I collectively like his work, which is why he's in this list and none of his scores will be in my favorite uh, top five. Uh, but I listen mm. to pretty much all of his work consistently, so... Spirited Away, yeah. Howl's Moving Castle, um, Totoro, Porco mm. Rosso, like all Ponyo, he did all of them. So no, definitely, yeah, that's a good one. That's a that's a nice a nice pick there. Um, and then uh, Vince Guaraldi, who did all the Peanuts stuff, because it was funny because when I was like looking in Spotify, like in Spotify stats to see 
yeah. like what albums and composers I've listened to the most. Both um, the Christmas album, Charlie Brown Christmas, mm. and the Great Pumpkin were in my top, um, like, in albums I listen to a lot. And so it's just yeah. kind of funny because, like, his work is so iconic, but I also think a lot of his scores are very similar to each other because they use so many similar themes. Like, the Linus and Lucy yeah. theme is, like, basically in every single one, um, every Peanuts mm-hmm. uh, special or whatever. Yeah, so I he definitely is one of my like favorites and go-tos for the like basically September through January. Yeah, that's definitely one where it's like that has a life beyond the movies for me or the shorts, I guess, for me. That music cuz I listen to that definitely just a lot during Christmas. Um you throw on that score and I attach that music much more to like just personal listening listening than yeah, watching the sure. special what are some of the ones that you have uh so some of the ones that i have uh johnny greenwood obviously is like one of my favorites working right now he had two great scores last year um he's definitely one too where he uses very unique instrumentation for each score that he does and he always matches it with the movie um, like he'll match that score to the movie. So I think of like the power of the dog last year, which was very heavily, I think it was actually a cello. Like it sounds like a guitar, but I'm pretty sure it was a cello that he was plucking. Um, but like you have that stringed instrumentation that kind of matches like the Western feel. Um, but then you have Spencer, which is like the mix of like free jazz. Um, and like, I don't, it was, what was the other? I haven't listened to that score in a bit, but like he, that's just like a completely different sound than power of the dog. Um, so that's like, a, I think last year was a really good showcase of his skills. Cause he's really good at doing that. And like looking at what each movie needs. Um, John Brion is like just someone who I really like in general, like even just like in what he decides to produce the music he does. Um, like with the Mac Miller albums, I think he did the last two is what he did. And like, he's just like a really cool composer um, and musician. So I really like his scores because they're all, they're also always very unique in like what he decides to do for them. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are like people in the last like 10 years that have gotten really popular. Um, And obviously everyone loves the social network score, even like though the soul score they did was really good. The Mank score to bring back Mank. My favorite mm-hmm. movie. No, I love Mank. I, I think I think I haven't heard about anyone talk about Mank in a while, so I'm I gotta bring it back. Um Michael Abels, we talk about sometimes. He did Get Out and Us, but also Bad Education. That's a great score. Is he doing the score for Nope? I hope so. I don't know. I never looked. Um let Let's me see. look now. That he bet because I think Get Out and Us are like very they're typical more typical horror scores but he does a good job of like making them stand out which i think is like what the movies themselves stand out from horror as well so uh yeah this says there's a film an article from film music reporter uh which says michael abels to re-team with jordan peele on nope very cool very cool um, and then I also put here Wendy Carlos, who she did the Clockwork Orange, because um, that's not really an original score, but they used the Beethoven music, but she made it the synthesized versions. Um, and also, I think she did the stuff for The Shining and also the original Tron score. 
Um, and she was really cool because she was very huge in the trans community. She was um, openly trans when she was making these scores. And that that like just really cool pushing boundaries. And her music is really cool and very fun to listen to. And I think like Clockwork Orange would not be the same if they didn't use those that music. Hmm. Um, cool. What are some of our crossovers here? Because we do like a lot of similar s- similar scores too. Um, let's see. Of course, Emil Mosseri, two-time award, second-hand film award winner. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. He didn't do any last year, yeah, so we're, this year maybe we'll get another one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he, he did kind of just some other, like, personal work last year and not any, like, yeah. film scores. Good for him. Um, so he couldn't be a three-time award winner, but... <laughs> when you when you win two second-hand film awards, you have to wonder, where do I go from here? Yeah. And he was just, re- <laughs> he was, like, redefining his career, figuring out where to go next. Yeah, I love all of his um, scores, so I started listening to him after the last black man in san francisco score uh which is incredible and then he did uh the minari score and kajillionaire which is also great and i think he's someone too that has a very like individualistic style like you can tell that it's his score in all three of them but they're all so different at the same time yeah because like well last black man in san francisco takes a lot from like kind of more piano jazz styles Mm -hmm. if i remember correctly then minari is like um guitar right and like strings and they use the vocals and then kajillionaire is more electronic but they're all like very like ambient and like yes. ethereal the reason he's one of my favorites right now is like for that reason because like he does have very individual he like sp- specifies films scores depending on the film but you can always tell like it's him Mm-hmm. In all three of his scores the main ones that he's done and i'm he's doing the jonah hill movie i'm pretty sure didn't they oh, remember they announced yes. that? On I the jo- feel like I Jonah remember seeing that. that on and sending that to you. I forgot about it until just now, though. Yeah, I just remembered because I was like, what is he doing next? And I remember seeing that Instagram post. So, yeah. Let's see. What other ones do we have that crossover? Um, bum, bum. <laughs> That's the succession score of theme nicholas Bertel, he's great and obviously succession is a tv show but that's a great score um all three seasons have like really awesome music uh but then he's also done moonlight i think actually the beale street score is maybe even better than moonlight Mm. i think that's like a really good score i think i agree with you yeah like because moonlight is good but Again, it, the score is very sparse. And so like mm-hmm. you have a few good themes, but I think Beale Street's like just makes that movie so much better in my opinion. Cuz I think it's a pretty good movie, but the score like elevates it so highly. Um and then he was also he also did the Don't Look Up score last year, which mm. was okay. Oh, it was fine. It was very like jazzy. Yeah, I I think it actually in the movie they kind of bury it, which is disappointing cuz I like it by itself, but then I was watching when I rewatched it I like was trying to listen for the score and they kind of bury the score. So that's unfortunate because he does have like, he's a, an interesting combination of very classically trained, but he also incorporates a lot of like either hip hop elements or jazz elements. Like he always incorporates more modern sounds into the classical, um, which is in succession is like perfectly demonstrated in the opening theme. What a great theme. That's, that's a great, that is a great opening theme. I love, I love it. Yeah. 
<laughs> and he wrote L to the OG, your favorite song. L to the OG. <laughs> Dude, be the OG. OG. And we play. <laughs> and he playing. Playing like a pro. Wow. When I say Thank, L, you're welcome, everyone. you say OG. You say G. L to the OG. OG. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, um, classic Kendall. Classic, classic Kendall Roy. Kendall Roy. Um, and then, of course, we both have Alexander Desplat. <laughs> Alexander Desplat, the man himself. Yeah, he's really cool. Yeah. Um, and he uses a lot of melody in his scores. I think in the French Dispatch score, you have like the obituary cue, which is like you just have all those melodies like coinciding and getting to get like he just really employs melody over harmony, which I don't think a lot of a lot of scores really rely on their the harmonic elements, right? Because it's just like, oh, we'll just underscore and like this chord progression will provide the emotion that we need. But he really like, emphasizes melody sometimes where it's like it's the only thing really like it's mm -hmm. all built on melody which is really cool yeah i love uh like grand budapest is one i'm one that i listen to a lot little women of course yeah little woman's great grand budapest i love the the M mr mustafa i think great he, like just yeah i think if anyone like is vacuuming ever that is a score to put on. <laughs> That's a vacuuming score. <laughs> That's well, because if you feel like you're like a hotel, you're like working at a hotel, sure, you're like cleaning sure. up. Yeah, we'll get to talk about him a little more this summer when we do the Wes Anderson yeah. series. Um, but yeah, he's great. He's like one of the. He almost made the cut for my top. He was the one that almost made the cut last year in my top five in Spotify. Right there, so close, Alexander. Yeah. Maybe next year. Maybe this may, year. Maybe with the actual stats, maybe he passed Olivia Rodrigo. But like, mm, sorry, <laughs> Alexander Desplat and Olivia Rodrigo battling it out for the top five spot. Wow, that's so funny. Um, and then we also lastly have Michael Giacchino, who Giacchino, I think I don't know. It's one of those two. Uh, he's really cool too. I think we've talked a little bit about how recently his scores have. Not I like I haven't liked most of his scores in the last like five years. I guess yeah, I think I, since I thought Inside the Spider-Man one, No Way Home was pretty good. Like it definitely stood out to me compared to some of his other like previous scores. But yeah. Batman was like unreal. What a return to form! That's one of the ones that I pre-ordered, and I cannot wait to like get it and play it on vinyl. That was like sitting in the theater listening to that. I was like, he's back, my man. Because like he, I used to use one guy. I used to get excited for. But then sure. like I saw Rogue One and I saw Jurassic World and I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, I think it's hard when a composer like that really gets sucked into, not that they can't yeah. be creative in like a major studio franchise, but like I think it's harder to be, especially in one that has established themes already. So, like, Jurassic, mm. you're having to build off of stuff that John Williams did in the original yeah. Jurassic. Or in Star Wars, like, again, you're building <laughs> off of John Williams. So, it's just hard because you have to retain a lot of the, like, original sounds of the franchise. But try to make it your own, and it gets a little mm. muddy there. Yeah, and he was definitely... There were some years where he was doing, like, three scores multiple mm. years in a row. And, like... That's something where it's like, how can you make three film scores a year and like 
have each one be like super unique and like stand out on its own. Sure. Um. So I I hope that Batman maybe signals like maybe one score a year more like because I think he is also very good at um light motifs and themes. I mean, Mer- um, what is it? Married Life is what the cue is called from Up. That oh one is like iconic. And then you bring that back that scene so throughout good. the movie. Yeah, that's what Up he's good score. at. And I think Batman like showed that because again you had all those themes in batman that just like flowed together perfectly yeah um wow. yeah what a guy uh I'll, I'll be talking about one of his scores in a second after we come back from this ad break where we're just going to run through our top five film scores Should, like interlude with a score like we're back and then we do like a um i'm trying to think of a score off the top of my head <laughs> um uh-huh. i keep thinking of that star wars one where it's like so just imagine that that was playing when i said and we're back okay so obviously we have more than five scores we like so we have a couple honorable mentions that i'll just run through like really fast um so edward scissorhands almost made the cut i think this is danny elfin's best score i love Mm. his early work i think more than now now he's not as not doing as good but i love that score lord of the rings obviously is great the dark knight um just that for that whole trilogy i think is Hans zimmer's probably his best work La La Land, I love the La La Land score. I didn't really consider it for this because a lot of the music and stuff is based off the songs. So I think that's hard to like, is that a fully original score? Like, mm-hmm. even though maybe he wrote it, I don't know. It's just, a, it's a, there are different things. Um, Grand Budapest, we already talked about. I uh, like that one. The Incredibles, Michael, there he's, there he is again. That is a great score, The Incredibles. Um, and then Eighth Grade, Anna Meredith did this score. I think, I don't think she's done anything a, a movie score since this but this is a really unique electronic score that does a great job of relating the themes of the movie so i think people don't really like think about that score that much but i would recommend listening to the eighth grade score because it's very good all right so these are my top five a lot of these are more just like like more nostalgic because i think there's a lot of that come out in the last five years that might make this list over time but i just have a hard time like taking out some of these for a movie that came out two years ago if that makes sense um so i wanted to make sure these were like certified classics sure as mine includes like almost movies (laughs) that like all came out in the past two years (laughs) but you have some that you liked a lot when you were younger too and i have some too that have come out more recently so starting at the bottom number five is et uh i actually am not a huge fan of et i think it's a good it's an okay movie i think it's pretty mid too yeah 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 but i did love this movie when i was a kid i watched this way more than star wars um which is maybe why i like this score more than star wars Mm. Uh, and i think the score without this score i think et would not even be thought of today i think it wouldn't have even worked because i don't think this movie works without the score yeah great point and you know all i'm gonna say is that part in when they're doing the bike chase and it goes dun, 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 dun. that part <laughs> is pretty great <laughs> it's a pretty great part um that's all i'm gonna say. and i i do think this is maybe like i know a lot of people like this score but i don't know if people say it's john williams best but i think it's like 
mm, top five. I know which one I would say is John Williams' best. I, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear about it in a second. Um, <laughs> we will. <laughs> so my number four is Inside Out. I think like the upscore is good, um, really good. I, it's not just good, but I like this one a little bit more. I think the elements that he uses in this one is this really unique like mix of piano, electronics, and even like he uses some guitar at some points to like get the momentum up. There's a lot of different instrumentation going on here, but he also has the themes for joy and sadness, I think most prominently. And they just all mix together. And then you got that big ending where everyone just cries. I and it's a love great, that score. Great score. Great movie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Both. Amen. Amen to both. <laughs> Amen, brother. Um, yeah, you're, this is a great score. And I don't, like, a lot of people just talk about Up, but I think this one gets a little overlooked more because it doesn't have, like, the married life equivalent, you know? Yeah. So it's a little bit less talked about. Uh, number three is Fantastic Mr. <gasps> Fox. Oh, this this is so a classic. This is a TikTok classic now. So many, yeah. this is, like, so much life to this score. And one reason I have the score even so high is because this is there are so many different themes in this, but I know each one. Like when it plays in the movie, like you know the exact melody, and it's like that's pretty impressive to have multiple just like cues in the score, and I, I just know them by heart because they're all so nice and catchy, and they really I think match like the fall autumn vibe of the film. Yeah, totally agree. Again, like completely different from Grand Budapest, which is another Wes Anderson, Alexander Desplat film, um, but like just completely different. But they both match the movie perfectly. Um, number two is Lady Bird. I don't think many people talk about this score. This is John Brion. Um, and this is one where I don't really think there are many themes at all. The only big obvious theme is when it has like the the one cue that plays when she starts high school mm. and then the cue that plays when she starts college which are kind of like bookends kind of thing because it's like at the end and at the beginning um but a lot of it is just like one minute cues it's a pretty short uh score it's like 30 minutes maybe overall and they're just really short condensed mostly like drum machines and um i think woodwinds definitely i'm not sure exactly what woodwinds but it's like very interesting instrumentation in that way where it's like you have the drum machines and the and the woodwinds um and it feels just like the movie i don't know how to say like the nostalgic kind of rose tinted glasses but also with the more raw element that the movie brings um i don't know this is like just one of my favorite scores to put on when i just need a, a relaxing atmosphere and i just need a vibe out and this score always provides me with like just a really relaxing feeling. And I, this point, I've listened to the score so much that when I watch the movie, I'm like, yes, this is my favorite cue. Yes, <laughs> it's here. Um, but it's, and it's just literally like a drum, like in a hi-hat, just like playing. I don't know. It's funny because they're not like huge, like exciting cues, but they are really intimate and beautiful. Uh, and then number one, I think most people would have been able to guess if they listened to the podcast um, is the Phantom Thread score. This is like, yeah, this is just like, one of the best scores of all time, in my opinion. This does have a lot of themes, but it also uses new things throughout where you're not just getting the leitmotifs cue after cue throughout the score. And it's mixed with existing classical music too, which helps, I think, 
spice it up. Yeah, this the House of Woodcock cue is great. And I think the biggest flex, though, is the movie technically like the last scene before the title card is the House of Woodcock's cue. Um, but then they do a new cue on the, the end title screen. And in my opinion, that's for the hungry boy, I think is what it's called. And I think that's even better. Like that's like, I think the best cue in the movie and they save that for the very end. They never play that theme ever in the movie, but they know it's, he knows it's so good that he can play this, this theme that you've never heard. And it's going to, it's perfect. It's, I don't know that stuff like that is what really like gets me. And I think that cue is really good for the hungry boy. Um, I wish that one was more popular because there's like no sheet music or like even like fan transcribed sheet music for that one. Um, but I love that one. That one's really good. Uh, yeah, that's my five. Wow. Incredible. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So I'll go through a couple honorable mentions here. Um, I've kind of mentioned a couple like that I've already like, like last black van in San Francisco and bad education, stuff like that. Uh, a couple other ones I'll say. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, that score by Jean Yves Thibode. I yep. Um, and couldn't, it's great. The theme when it starts playing and Darcy is walking across the field and the music is playing. I live that scene in my brain like multiple times a day. I think about that. Uh, and then one that I've always kind of loved is the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, score by Harry Gregson Williams, uh, specifically the, like, Narnia theme. Incredible. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, that one's good. And the vocals are really cool. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a great. And I and when we rewatched that one for an episode recently, I was, like, struck by it in the battle. Um, specifically mm. when the music is playing, and I was like, wow, this is really good. So, um, so epic. Yeah, and so I love that one, and I love when, like, um, with movies like this that I liked as a kid, I like being able to m- like them now. Like, another one is How to Train Your Dragon, and that, like, main theme. Talk about a TikTok trend. Yeah, wow. There's um, another big one. Sorcerer's Stone. Um, like, just kind of stuff that you watch as a kid that sort of imprint themselves in your brain. Um, another one is Goodbye Lennon, uh, the Yan Tiersen score. Mm. Great. Um, and then uh, one that I really liked when it first came out and that I still listen to is The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Oh, that, wow. That movie, I forget (laughs) about that movie. We should do an episode on that one. And I'm like, wow. I I liked that movie when it came out, but I I do really like the score, uh, still. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. All right. I'll, I'll say my um five here so i was really torn on my fifth my number five i had my top four locked for a while and then i was like Mm. oh this number five i just don't know what to do um (laughs) so (laughs) the one that i cut out is the little women score um that disputed uh Mm, for the 2019 little women Love it. It's so good. I listen to it often. Um, but something's got to be cut, right? Something's got to go. 
Um, so my number five, uh, hopefully these will like surprise some people. That's my goal is to like bring some I'll surprise. do a surprise guest <laughs> every reaction. time you Okay, one. thank you. So my number five is the Christopher Robin score by, <gasps> <gasps> wow, uh, Jeff Zanelli and John Brian, uh, who you mentioned, mm. uh, and who one of your courses by, right? Wow. Yes, so, it is. Ladybird. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love the score. It's just so sweet. It's an, it's one of the ones that's like, it does the, and I love that. It's so happy. Um, I'm a big fan of the Christopher Robin movie, even though like a lot of people find it very boring. It's fine. I half respect your opinion. Um, but this movie, I, I like it. And, uh, the score is very nice. I've been listening to it, like, pretty consistently since it came out. And it's just a very nice, like, background music, like, to put on. That's one of those scores where it's, like, I feel like if I looked at Spotify, like, literally everyone, you might be the only person that, like, one day listened to the Christopher Robin score. Because, like, who's listening? I'm just, like, that's one of those scores. Like, is there really a lot of people still listening well, to that? Well, and that's you know what's what really wondering. funny is if if you look on Spotify, um, let me bring it up. Like, on the computer now, they show you the amount of plays um, for, like, songs on yeah. Spotify and an album. So, like, the main theme has almost 3 million plays on it. Um, but then everything else is, like, 100,000 or less. And wow. I'm like, wow, I'm, I feel, like, cool now uh, yeah you're it's so i don't indie. know if it's like cool or if it's like makes me less cool i'm not really sure hmm. um who's to say my number four is home alone uh the <gasps> john williams score home alone. <gasps> oh it's so i love good. home i love this is a great oh my this gosh. is i think a really good score i yeah. think this is his best score in my opinion but that's i would have probably opinion. replaced this with et if you i knew you were taking it so mm. i was like i'll just do his other one but yeah. like this one is really good. Really and good. like, I think I relate that to Christmas. So when I'm thinking about Christmas, I'm thinking of it being mm. like, Somewhere in And I just like, when I, I, I watch this every year, it's like basically one of my favorite all time yeah, Christmas it's movies. The best, one of the best um, Christmas movies ever. And I convinced my family to watch it this year on Christmas Eve. I was like, this is the movie. Um, and when he is, it like plays the score and then his mom comes and he turns around and it oh. swells. I'm like, oh, it's so good. Like this movie yeah. again, like you said with E.T., it just, I mean, it would be a good movie, but it wouldn't be the same as it was without the score behind it. So true. Um, and I love Christmas. So I like the little <laughs> Christmas additions <laughs> to it. <laughs> Um, my third uh, pick here is one that's a little out of left field, um, and it is the Night at the Museum score Whoa. by Alan Silvestri. Um, mm, this is what we were talking about before with the, this score and the National Treasure, treasure score, score. Yeah, they're very similar. Um, they they have a lot of similar like elements to them. Yeah, this one it's it's funny because this is a movie that I watched a lot as a kid and for some reason the score in this has just stuck with me um like yeah. all the themes in the museum and there's a couple different like i think character themes a little bit in this one like teddy roosevelt's character has like a specific theme 
And I just, when I listen to the score, and this is something I can't do very often because my brain doesn't um, remember, like, visuals. I don't remember what it's called, but, like, when I imagine something, I can't, I can't conjure a picture in my brain. Um, and so, for me, remembering movies is a little difficult, like, to visualize in my brain. But for some reason, when I listen to this score specifically, I can visualize the scenes in my brain. And so I'm like, wow, that's really cool because that's something I can't like do very often. And so I just, wow, this movie and this score is so good. I actually was listening to it today in my car when I was driving to a soccer game. And I was like, yeah, I'm vibing tonight at the museum right now. And no one knows who's <laughs> driving past me. Uh, my second one is the Minari score by oh. Emil Mosseri. What? I listen to this all the time. I took this is a classic. A plane uh, flight recently, and it was one of the few albums that I like downloaded. And basically, the whole entire flight, like both flights, I just listened to the score on repeat while I read. It's just so like you said, ethereal, but it like just transports you to a different mm. place in your brain and it's yeah. so nice and peaceful and always makes me feel like because you know how there's some scores that you listen to and they're maybe even similar to this where it's like very swooping and there's the voices the vocal stuff and it makes you sad and you listen to it when you're sad and you want to like wallow but this in one it's like both like you can be happy yeah, it's like it's like a melancholy some weird combination or like bittersweet it, <laughs> melancholy um <laughs> it's melancholy um but it's it's almost like yeah it's a very like i mean it matches the tone of the movie for sure um Definitely. but i like the way that it makes me feel and that's why i like it um yeah. and then my number 1 is the luca score by Dan Romer. Oh. Actually, no one's surprised about that, so that was... No, definitely yeah. not. Um, <laughs> yeah, this score is so good, and I know it, like, backwards and forwards, so if you were to, like, play a song of it, I could, like, do literally the whole song and then just keep going. Wow. And then it was really cool after I was listening to it for a while when I went back and watched the movie and, like, yeah. knew the score, and so I was pairing the score that I knew with the movie, which was an interesting way to, like, because I don't know that there's a score that I know now as well as I know the Luca score because of how much I listened to it last year. So it was cool to, like, do that and actually know, yeah. like, literally every single note of the score and, like, all the cues and transitions and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's what I was saying. It's so weird because it's, like, you develop a relationship with a certain aspect of the movie and then you would reattach it to it when you watch it. And it's, like, you're bringing all those emotions or, like, feelings with you and it's sure oh it's all it, like it's a completely different way of watching it um yeah that's that's film scores it's all that needs to be said ever about them yeah no more comments <laughs> no more comments until the secondhand film awards when we will be giving out our favorite film score of this year mm. um it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be hard to beat batman gotta yeah, say that's batman definitely the easy is, front runner right now i think it's also the only one in our document right now um I well, could be wrong I'm not going to put in the score for the bad guys. I mean, I don't even know what that's like. What I, I don't think the that Lost was other, City any other score. Um, with that, though, I think our question of the week should be, what is your favorite film score? Mm. Is it one of the ones we talked about? Is it the score for the bad guys? 
I don't know. I mean, that, there's got to be one person that like watched that movie. And, like, is this it is my Tron movie. Legacy by Daft Punk from 2010? <laughs> I'm sure one person will say that. That was a great score. Yeah. I feel like that's the only reason, like, that's the only thing that people are glad exists about that movie. Because, like, no one thinks about that movie for anything but the Daft oh, Punk score. I liked that movie when it came out. Well, but, like, if I, I never hear see people talk about it at all unless they're talking about the score, mm, though. That's, like... I don't know. I don't. Maybe we need to reevaluate it. Maybe we should do a Tron episode. Yeah, do Tron the original. Tron we talked about the then... old Tron score today. I talked about it for a second. Yeah, and then do Tron Legacy. Sure. Sure, sure thing. I haven't seen the old <laughs> one, so I haven't seen the new one in a long time. I haven't seen it since probably like close to 2010. Yeah, like out. I might have seen it when it came out, and then I probably didn't watch it again. Um, that's besides the point, though. Let us know what your favorite score is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just reach out, uh, search secondhand film, search secondhand film critics wherever those places are, and you'll find us. Uh, you can also email us at secondhandfilmcritics at gmail You can answer the question on the Spotify feature. Mm. Uh, so Very many ways cool. to reach out. And while you're just on your phone moving moving around to our different places, just go over to podca- Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five star rating and review. Uh, if you're on yeah. Apple Podcasts, you can review. And it's just easy, you know? It just takes a couple clicks. Mm-hmm. A couple clicks of the buttons. Sure does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, man. Um, what, is, what is our next episode? Is it is it another film score episode? Are we talking about real like, film scores now? The oh, scores yeah, the of scoring films? that we give films. Yes. That'd be a boring episode. Yeah, so next week's ap- episode will be um, kind of a, sort of a sequel episode to previous episodes that we've done, but kind of like a new episode. It's going to be, is Netflix dead? Dun, 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 yeah, dun. we're just going to be talking about the state of streaming. It's it's yeah. it's crazy world out there. Lots of sap has happened. We've done a couple Netflix and streaming episodes in the past. We did um, a couple years ago, or maybe, no, 2019, so three years ago. Yeah. We did an episode on our Netflix originals, Killing Netflix or something. And like, look at it now. We called it. We called it three years ago. We really did. We're um, pretty cool. I so think. we'll be kind of talking about that. And we've done other streaming episodes through the years. Yeah, Disney Plus, we did a couple episodes on. Yeah, we, well, we've talked with about- With the coronavirus episodes, we definitely talked about streaming a lot. Yeah, so, so yeah. it'll be exciting to kind of touch on what's going on with streaming now and Netflix and yeah. all the news and it's going to be fun. So make sure you tune in. Yeah, we're going to be ranting, I assume. I assume we'll be Probably. ranting. Probably. Um, yeah, that, I'm, I'm excited for that Those Netflix one. people- I can't ruining believe the film that they're industry. ruining film. Well, kind of, but also not. It's complicated. We'll get into that t- next week. <laughs> um, yeah, so tune in uh, next Tuesday at 10 a.m. to check out that episode. Uh, anything else until then? I got nothing. Well, until next time, I'm L to the... OG! <laughs> And we're <laughs> your second, your second hand film, film critics. critics.